Hey, this is Tiffany Aurora. Welcome back to the Entrepreneurs and Artists Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, I hope that you'll take a second to follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts. That's one of the best ways you can support the show. And as a bonus, it's free, it's quick, it's easy, and you'll get notifications about when the new episodes are released. I hope you'll enjoy today's episode. I am so thrilled to welcome Young Vo to the show. Young is a children's book author and an all-around great human. Enjoy. Super excited to introduce you to Young Vo, who is joining me today. Young is an animator, an illustrator, and an author whose children's book called Gibberish is an insightful and a very moving story about a young boy named Dat who moves to the United States. He's from a different country originally, and he really struggles because everything around him sounds like gibberish. It's an adorable story and one you should definitely seek out in the children's section of your local bookstore. In our episode today, Young and I talked about his experience as a children's book author, how he landed his first book deal, the importance of being teachable and seeking out feedback, and so much more. He's such a delight to talk to. I know you'll enjoy this conversation. Please join me in welcoming Young Vo. So welcome back to the Entrepreneurs and Artists podcast. My guest today is Young Vo, who I'm very excited to have on the show today. Young, welcome. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. So you are an animator and an illustrator and an author, and you have a children's book out called Gibberish that I want to talk to you about because it's a lovely book. And I have a number of questions for you about it, but I actually want to start with a question that is not at all related to your book, but it is related to your website. So I saw your bio and above your bio is a photo of you with this long flowing (laughs) animated black hair that just like billows in the wind and below it, there's a caption that says something like not an accurate depiction of young Vo. And um, I've met you in person. I've had the the privilege of meeting you. And I know that you don't have extremely long flowing black hair, but what is, what is the story behind the hair on your photo on your website? So I did that actually just for fun. We always joke about like, you know, like how like supermodels always have like, for some reason, there's wind always like around them and their hair is always flying around and and look, they look amazing. And I'm like, well, how would I look like that? You know, what what, would I look like? And I I just kind (laughs) of thought myself, I want to animate myself with uh, with uh, flowing locks, you know? That's um, fantastic. And that's kind of like where the idea of that came from. That's so great. that's my supermodel uh, image, basically, yeah. Okay, <laughs> Young Vo as a supermodel, I love it. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you say that because I have I have a, a memory of, <laughs> 
I'm not a big fan of the Transformers movies, but I have a memory of one of those Transformers movies in which one of the like the main characters is she's sort of like falling down a building and it's exactly what you say. Like she is just just flailing, falling down this skyscraper yep. and then her hair is just billowing behind her in the most beautiful way. But not only her hair, but if you see those movies like, you know, like they just had an, this came from a big explosion like the battle of a lifetime. And their makeup is perfect. Yes. You know, <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. Like nothing's out of place, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> the joy of being on camera. Okay. So you're, um, as, as I mentioned already, you're an illustrator and an animator by day, I guess I'll say, although you're, you're also an author by day. And you have this book, this children's book that's called Gibberish, which mm. I have a copy of, which our audience can't see, but I have it here with me. Um, it's just, it's a beautiful book. It tells such a heartwarming story about a young boy named dot or dat i'm not sure how, how do you pronounce his name uh dat dat yeah. okay i'm wondering a, a couple of things but first of all in regards to this particular story what was it about this story that you wanted to tell like like where did the story actually come from it came from my sketchbooks originally like the the idea for it because like in our school they always tell you fill your sketchbook up like that's how you learn i always kind of started drawing this these characters that kind of reoccur in my sketchbooks but I realized that those characters were like from my experience as a kid. You know, I keep drawing the same kid with with this uh, monster friend, and then I realized, oh, that's just me as a kid. And I, at the time, she looks like a monster, but in the book, she's a cartoon character. Mm -hmm. uh, was you know my my friend that kind of befriended me originally? Cause like you know, when you meet somebody new, they always kind of look a little strange, right? Like like even when they when they speak, you're 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 trying to pick up how the lingo and like the little nuances of, of how, how they say things, especially like you people at work, right? When you go to work, you, you're, you know, people are always throwing out these different acronyms and stuff like that. like, what the heck does that mean? And and that's kind of like how I felt when I was a kid going, coming to, to the U.S. from Vietnam. And I was like, everything sounded weird to me. People were kind of weird and different. And, and in some ways they look kind of, or monsterish, you know? And so that's kind of like where the the idea came from. And then I'm, I'm like, how do I convey that to a kid? Because like, you know, I, I guess I kind of wrote for for a kid like myself. I want to tell you about my experience of reading your book, just because because mm -hmm. I, I imagine that everyone like a really good story, people experience it differently, right? Like it kind of it kind mm -hmm. of has a life of its own. And so when I first picked up the book, it's called Gibberish, and it's as you have sort of alluded to already, it's about this boy. He comes he comes to the U.S. and he doesn't understand anything, right? Like all of the language that he hears is gibberish. And so my initial impression of the book was that it was a book about language, which it is, I guess, on some level. But as I'm following his story and he's, you know, navigating through his days and he's feeling frustrated and he's feeling confused and he's feeling frightened and he's feeling sad and angry and all, like all of these emotions that he's going through because everything sounds like gibberish and he doesn't know what anyone's saying. And then and all of a sudden this girl appears and she's happy to see him and she wants to play with him and she wants to be around him and my experience of the book changed of it being a story about language to it being a story about a young boy who was being seen mm -hmm. and I, I don't know if that's you know necessarily like the story that you are telling or that you would have sort of breathed into it but that that was my experience of it and I was just curious yeah, yeah like what else is there that you were that you were trying to kind of mine in this story so I love that. I love what you said there. Before you even answered the question, you said that the book, when you read a book, it kind of takes a life of its own type of thing. Mm -hmm. And I have realized that Jibberish definitely has come to life in so many different ways that I have never thought that it would. 
mm -hmm. uh, for people. Mm -hmm. uh, like your like from what you said there, like absolutely what you said is true. Because I I wrote the book not only originally I wrote it for myself, you know, for that kid. Then it slowly kind of evolved to also for for my friend uh, Julie, mm -hmm. and also wrote for for people like her because like without her. I would still be lost, you know, like kind of wandering around, kind of like aimlessly trying to figure out what's going on. And she kind of took me by the hand and kind of like explained to me what different things were and stuff like that. Like, for example, mashed potatoes. To me, that was weird because <laughs> it, it looked like smashed rice. And I'm like, why would somebody smash rice? <laughs> so like little stuff like that helped a lot. So definitely what you said there is totally true about like, for me, you know, somebody like me would relate with that and, and maybe somebody like you would relate with Julie, you know, like there's this, like this awesome different view of the book. Here's another example of like a different view of gibberish that I did not foresee. Gibberish, there's a school, I believe it's in Maryland, that basically teaches uh, kids with dyslexia, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. And they use gibberish as like a book to kind of like talk to kids about how uh, dyslexia works a little bit, right? Because like I have dyslexia and mm -hmm. I didn't know that what I was writing was kind of like a reflection also of how I, I, I interpret words and, 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 um, and hearing. So when dad hears words and stuff like that, the letters get jumbled up, right? So he doesn't really see it. You remember that moment in the book where he's reading in front of, of, of people? Mm -hmm. uh, kids with, uh, with dyslexia, that is a horrific moment for them because reading out loud is horrible because like they'll drop letters, they'll drop words, they'll misinterpret words and stuff like that. And that's kind of like what I showed there. Teachers that use, uh, that, you know, teach dyslexia or help kids to learn when they're struggling with dyslexia, use that book. And I was like, wow, you know, like sent me a, a, an email talking about it. I'm like, my goodness, I'd never even thought about that. You know, I'll share one more story if you don't mind. Yeah, uh, yeah, please. So another, another story that I didn't see was like, so I gave, I did a school visit in, um, in Long Island. And like, I was standing there and I saw this one kid walking into to the auditorium. He was holding my book. Mm, I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, that's, that's amazing. I need to talk to that kid later. <laughs> and so after I did my, my, my presentation and stuff like that, the kid comes up with uh, his teacher and, and the teacher's, oh, tell him your, your story. And then, and the kid's like, he just came from Turkey. And like, he goes, I, I'm, I was like that, you know, mm -hmm. and now I have friends and and it's like, I love your book. And I'm so, you know, and teacher's like, oh, he's so excited when he heard you were coming, blah, blah, blah. Just like reaching out to kids that are even from like different countries than than my than, than the country I came from mm -hmm. was also really amazing. And, you know, it, it's, it's, yeah, it, it's taken a life of its own in so many different ways. Yeah. What has that experience been like for you traveling around the country? Because I know because it is a children's book and because it is being used in schools, in mm -hmm. ways such as the one you just mentioned, um, you get a chance to actually speak with kids and you get a chance to go to school assemblies. And mm -hmm. what, what has that experience been like for you? And, I, and I'm also curious if, you, if that was something that you anticipated or if that sort of surprised you when that emerged after your book was published. <laughs> Great question. I didn't know auth children's book authors went to did school visits. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew that some, some did, right? But mm -hmm. I didn't know that was like, part of the job. So once I discovered that, I'm like, cool. <laughs> uh, when gibberish came out, the pandemic was 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 still in full effect. So my first uh, interaction was virtual visits and stuff like that, which were fun. But I have to say, once I did the live visits, I realized, 
this is my thing. I absolutely love school visits live. Virtual, I think, are fun, but there's nothing like talking to kids directly, hearing their responses to the presentation, and, and hopefully laughing at the right moments and, and, and cheering at the right moments and like feeding off of their energy gives me energy. And the validation of them responding to the story, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. I I, I couldn't ask for a better debut. Like it's 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 been it's been amazing. I can't uh, to be honest, I, I am so grateful. And like, you know, when I think about it, it's like, is this really happening? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> is this real? And, okay, so I have a question for you about your school visits, though, because there is there. I mean, there's definitely an energy to being in a space where other people are there and you're live and you're doing, you know, a presentation or a reading yep. of your book. And your book is one where kids, you know, ki kids tend to be very expressive, right? So if they're not mm -hmm. into it, you're going to know. But also Absolutely. if they're into it, you're going to know, right? Yep. But I have to imagine, though, that if you're doing that a lot, although it is energizing once you get into it, sometimes at the very beginning, it can be a little tough, right? Because I mean, you're probably traveling, I assume, across time zones, you're traveling around mm -hmm, the country, mm -hmm. travel is exhausting, right? Inevitably, yep. something goes wrong with a plane or, you know, your schedule or something. What are sort of like the tricks or tips or habits that you've developed to help get yourself into like a really good mindset for that moment when you walk into the school building or you walk into an assembly with a bunch of kids? Mm. Like, What does that process look like for you? Wow, great question. You're the first one to ask me that one. I definitely I made some mistakes initially, right? So some tips. First one is basically double check all your equipment because I bring my presentation. My presentation is on a PowerPoint. Definitely have backup of it. Make sure that you make sure that your school you go to has the connections you need. So I, I like to have an HDMI cable. Sometimes they say they have it and sometimes they don't. They say they have it, but then they, they realize they don't. Have different ports for, for, your, for your laptop. So that's a technical thing. The other thing I say is a tip is basically don't use a podium or, or, or be near anything where you can lean because, and this is, I'm just speaking from my personal experience. Some people might, might speak, to, uh, can do it totally differently and, and their energy level might be also different. Sure. For me, I notice when I'm leaning on something, my energy level kind of drops a little bit. So basically you're, if you're leaning on something, the energy, your energy is kind of going into whatever you're leaning, uh, leaning into, right? You're slouching a little bit in, in a way, right? But, but if you're standing up, and basically there's nothing for you to lean on, your energy level kind of stays centered. And so basically you can kind of speak with more energy. You can kind of, and, and uh, you're more focused because you're not being distracted by whatever it is you're leaning on or whatever. Or if you're dependent on something, you're not focused on that. You're focusing on the kids. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think another thing for me, uh, talking to kids live is basically making eye contact and moving they say always, you know, look at one person in, in the audience, whatever. I think that's kind of true, but I like to talk to different parts of the audience. You know, for one section, I'll, I'll focus on, on one part of the group and then another part of the group in the next next thing. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm moving around. I'm making eye contact with as many kids as possible. So I'm kind of okay. keeping them engaged because like, as you said, like, they'll tell you they don't like it or not. You know, yeah. like, I, had, <laughs> they totally I, had will. I had moments where like, kids were like rolling their eyes, you know, um, <laughs> and kids were talking to each other or um, uh -huh. see what's another one that, that was that was kind of crazy. <laughs> so I gave a presentation and it was like a really, really young group. And the kid just walked up to me and like pulled on my pants and goes, and he asked me a question and it wasn't even related to my talk. And then I'm like, I answered the question 
And then he spun around for whatever reason. He just spun around like, you know, like a top. And then all the kids were laughing. And then <laughs> I spun around just to kind of like basically break the tension and not make it weird. So like, yep. another, I guess another advice is to kind of go with the flow and don't be so rigid in your presentation that you can't deviate from it. Yeah. Um, because then the, the kids like will, will kind of relax a little bit too, that they're not, that you're not taking anything so seriously, you know? One of the biggest things that I'm taking away from all those tips that you just gave is the fact that presentations are about connection at their heart anyway, right? Mm, and so yep, it's all exactly. about finding little ways to do that in that means adapting to your audience. And when you're when you're interacting with kids, 100%, it is matching those that energy or sometimes changing the energy a little bit based on, you know, like if it needs to go up or down a little bit to, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, to kind of level out the room. But then, yeah, doing little things like spinning around like a top because the kid in front of you did that and making him feel seen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I want to ask you about how you landed your book deal, specifically how you found your publisher, because you, you've, you've shared this story with me before, but I would love for you to share it with our listeners, if you don't mind, because I think that there is a lot that we could all learn from this, especially, mm -hmm. especially writers, but probably artists of all kinds. Could you just tell us a little bit yeah. about how you found your um, how you found your publisher? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm part of an organization, or I joined an organization because I wanted to, to do children's book, and the organization is called SCBWI. I know it's a crazy acronym. So I joined them, and like I, you know, went through their website and um, you know joined some groups, and then they have conferences throughout the year, local conferences, and then national conferences. And then I went to a couple local, and then I decided, you know what, I'm ready to go to the national. And I saved up my money, got my portfolio together. At the time, gibberish was not, I tried and I sent it out to so many agents uh, trying, to, trying to get a conversation going, but so many rejection letters. Mm -hmm. um, and and for, thought, just, just real quick, for, for our audience who may not be writers, this is mm -hmm. a very, very standard process for writers who want to get published uh, with a traditional publisher is is to query agents so to reach out to agents to see if someone will represent you if they choose to then they take your book or your book idea to publishers yeah like so i was desperately trying to do that and i was just getting rejection letters left and right so i'm going to the national conference not feeling so great but but at the same time i had a new book i had i did a, i redid my portfolio so i'm i was like kind of excited right i'm for it so at the conference i'm going through there and i'm i'm still getting rejection letters on my phone um oh, no. <laughs> while you're at the conference oh while that's, I'm at, yeah that's while hard. at the conference yeah and i, I put I, I put myself out there i put my portfolio in, in the uh, portfolio showcase you know I, I did all the things and then no no one was really biting i didn't get any any emails or calls to to kind of meet up to to talk about my portfolio or my or the book I was I was uh, pitching. So at the last seminar, second to last seminar, I was sitting in the back row with my friends, and then a guy comes up and says, "Hey, is this seat next to you taken?" I'm like, "Oh no, go ahead and sit down." And he sat down next to me, and, and then and like we were kind of talking, joking around a little bit, and then um, and then after after the panel finished all these people just ascended upon this one guy uh, and like, you know, they were just talking to him and like, you know, people give him cards. And so that, and I'm like, who is this guy? And where are my cards? You know, like, so I'm like, I'm grabbing, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find my cards and stuff. And he looked at me like, are you trying to give me your card? And I'm like, I'm yes. <laughs> I'm trying to find my cards. <laughs> and, he, and so he hands me his card. And I'm like, here, take my card. And I'm like, oh, thanks. And then, 
and then basically this crowd of people just kind of took him away it's was, it was like just like he just ascended somewhere else you know and i looked at the car i'm like arthur levine and my friend next to me goes arthur levine if i knew you're sitting next to arthur levine i would have pushed you aside i'm like arthur levine and i'm like yeah he goes yeah he edited he edited uh, harry potter but I'm like, I'm like what <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i was freaking out and then i was like oh my goodness you know so obviously after you do that after you meet an editor Mm-hmm. At a conference, what you do is you email them. So I emailed him and just say, "Hey, it was great uh, meeting you. I do have a book. If you're uh, if if you're int- uh, if if you would be interested, take a look at it." Blah blah. And I told I, you know I told him about the book I was working on, and then I told him about gibberish. And he's, "Oh, the second book sounded interesting." I'm like, "Really?" <laughs> mm. So many rejection letters with this book. So I sent it to him, and and we were talking about it, and he was asking me. He's kind of was asking me kind of some some rhetorical questions, but I didn't care. I just kind of like just answered it anyways. And I was trying to carry the conversation going. I was trying to keep it going so, you know, it wouldn't die uh, just because, you know, the opportunity is, 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 is amazing, right? So I was exchanging emails with him for, I want to say, six months to a year, probably around there. I don't know the exact uh, time frame, but. It was a pretty long time. I think after this third month, I was like, okay, this is just, he's being nice uh, and, mm. you know, just exchanging emails with me and stuff like that. So I'm like, well, as long as he con- wants to continue to exchange emails, I'm going to continue to ask him questions. And so we were talking about gibberish and then he asked me questions. I asked him questions. I, I, and at the time he, he made a comment about gibberish, I redid the book actually and go, oh, is this what you mean? So I was editing my book while I'm emailing him, right? Uh, gibberish. And then he saw the changes and then he goes, oh, that was interesting. You know, why did you do that? Blah, blah. And then I and I, I told him why. And then he goes, oh, you know what? No part of the story that I was still confused about. What do you think? What does that mean? You know? So if time he does something like that, I just changed the book. I just changed. I just edited it. And also another thing I did, I sent him a lot of funny gifts. So, you know, <laughs> gifts for the win. <laughs> exactly. So so we, we exchanged conversations and we and we were joking around through a lot of the emails too. Somewhere between six months to a year, he he just he he emailed and said, you know what, let's do this, let's make this book, and mm-hmm. that's when I was uh, I was like floored. I I had no idea. I didn't expect it because I, after this after the third month, I was like, okay, I'm gonna learn as much as I can from this guy and just continue this conversation. Maybe in the future, you know, on one of my other books, you know, he'll he'll, he'll I can send it to him, you know. And then from there, we really started editing the book. So there was a lot more work. <laughs> there that. always is, right? Yeah. Exactly. exactly. But but I think I think that's so cool because I mean, on a couple of different levels. One, just the fact that you involved him in that process, right? That you, mm-hmm. you know, you made it very clear to him that oh, like I, I see who you are. I know you're really good at what you do, and I would love to learn from you. And then not only are you asking him questions, but you are showing him the edited work. To, and asking him like is is this what you meant like that active involvement i think is it's just it's fantastic because he really he can really see and feel that you're you're listening and learning yep. from him and also just the fact that you continued to to build that relationship because i think i mean i think one of the things that's so easy it happens to artists all the time entrepreneurs as mm-hmm. well is that you know you you start a relationship you think oh you know this has potential right or a potential collaboration or somebody that mm-hmm. you might be working with or, or whatnot and mm-hmm. when it doesn't go anywhere in a few weeks or a few months understandably like the air kind of goes out of it and you think eh, i don't know i don't know 
and I've got limited time and like, do I continue to build this connection or not? Or do I put that time and energy somewhere else? And, um, and I think just your discernment and saying, no, like this is someone that I can learn from regardless of mm -hmm. whether or not I quote unquote get anything out of it. Like this is something that is really worth investing my time and energy into. And I think, I think that's a really cool. Yeah. To, 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 to piggyback on what you just said there, I think the key was like also like my willingness to, to learn and change too. Mm. And I think, I think that went pretty far because I, I realized that after he said, yeah, let's make the book. It wasn't like he, he was going to say he was going to print the book the way it was. My take on, on the, on the conversation that we had and stuff like that, I think it was him kind of like testing me a little bit, like seeing if he could work with me. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. If, if he was, if I was somebody that he could have a conversation with about story, you know, a yeah. conversation about like what I mean by, by certain things and what is my sensibility and story and, and is, and if it's somebody that, that he can basically have a relationship with to make a book, cause it's a long process. It's not like, yeah, yeah it was a long process. And like, it was one of those things where like, and like, the cool thing about him is like, he never tells me that to make a change. He'll ask me a question and mm. like, he'll ask me like a crucial question. And it sometimes I had a, I'll give you an example. Like, so in, in gibberish oh this is behind the scenes of gibberish for for people that uh -huh. like this is my first time telling this i think to uh, on, on an interview one of the the biggest thing that that he asked me a question about that i was really hesitant to change was in the story dad kind of learns learns uh, english in the bus right mm -hmm. but in the original script julie actually took him from the bus line and like took her took him home and so basically he learned uh, english basically on the way to Julie's house, right? Okay. And then author's like, you know, as a parent, that's kind of scary if you, you, your kid's like missing from the bus and when, when, when mm. you know, when the mom is waiting for him at, you know, at the bus stop. For a parent, that's kind of scary. I mean, you think there's a different way to tell the same story still? I, he didn't phrase it like that, but something, sure. something to that sure. effect, right? He asked yeah. me that question, right? And I'm like, that's how it happened. What I wrote originally, that's, you know, that's my idea. That's my vision. So I was resistant to it. But the more I thought about it, and I told myself, you know what, what, what does it hurt to, to try? Can I creatively solve the same problem and, and still not change my, my, my vision or my story, right? And I tried different things, and then I, I kind of came up with, like, you know, the whole drawing and pictures thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it, it's the exact same images, actually, like uh, from the original, but it's just in a different context. And I think it worked, but it was hard, though. On, on, a, on, on a creative level, it was hard to change it, but it you, worked, yeah. You do this really cool thing in the book where you move from like black and white or grayscale into color as, mm -hmm. as Dat begins to understand or begins mm -hmm. to sort of put things together and, yeah, yeah. and feel like a little more comfortable in his environment. Was that always, was that always part of the process or did that, was that also something that came in, in the editing? It came before the editing, but it was something that I, I wanted to do, but I was, a, to be honest with you, I was a little afraid to do it because I seen mm. it done before in, in picture books mm -hmm. and I also seen it done in, in movies and stuff like that. Yeah. And I was afraid that if I could pull it off in a way where like it was creative enough, where like it, it, it doesn't take away from the story where like people are like, oh, I've seen this already. <laughs> so to be honest, I was a little afraid, but I, at the same time, I, w I wanted to push the visuals as much as possible from familiarity to strangeness. 
you know, so, so that yeah. when the change happens, that is obvious that it not only obvious, but fun too, you know? So what did it feel like young when you f held the very first copy of that book in your hand? Like you'd gone through that whole editing process that had taken you however long it had taken you from the first time you had an idea about gibberish all the way to the point where it was printed. Like what, what, what did that moment feel like when you finally got to hold this book in your hand for the first time? Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I, to be honest, actually, I have a reaction video on my on my website. If people want to oh, check do it you? Out. That pretty much sums it up. Like, it's just like there's so many emotions that came that went through opening the book for the very first time. I was ecstatic. Like, I was happy. My mind was blown. I, at certain moments, I had to just put the book down and walk away and then walk back. Like, mm -hmm. like, are you, are you? Is that real? Are you there? You know, like, yeah, it was unbelievable. How has your experience with your book changed since it's been released? And what's what's prompting my question is I remember hearing I remember hearing a film director once talk about his films and I, I can't remember um his name off the top of my head, but he's he's very prolific and he he talked about how he views each of his films as like a child that he has mm -hmm. raised. And mm -hmm. like, you know, you you do everything for them. You do the best that you can. You help them become, you know, the best human. You you, you give them all the resources. He goes, but then, you know, I, the day it's released, you sort of just like, it's like letting them go off to college. It's like, okay, now you get to go be on your own human and you're going to change in ways that I have no control over and I'm going to keep loving you, but you know, we'll see you at holidays, go live your life, you know? Yep, and, yep. Um, and, and I'm just curious how, how your relationship with the book has changed since, since it was published. Oh, that's a great question. My relationship with, with gibberish definitely has evolved and also like my bookmaking process has evolved. Right? Mm, okay. So first, my relationship with gibberish is gratitude. Like I, I'm so thankful for the things that it that making gibberish has taught me, and the lives that it has taken on. Like how we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. and also the people and kids that are being impacted by it and touched. I think really cements my desire to make books when you set out to make a book you don't know how the world's gonna react to it and you, to be honest like i hear you know some stories where people they finish their novel and they're like i'm done i'm mm. not gonna do it again but for me after finishing it and talking to the kids and stuff like i'm like i cannot wait to to, to make more books and with my second book that i'm working on right now i have taken everything that i've learned from making gibberish and putting that in there i've taken everything that i have learned from interacting with kids and I put it in there. In my next book, there's an interactive element in there also for kids. So when, oh, I, cool. do, when, when I do do the school visits, I have a way to interact with them. And teachers and librarians, those are like the backbone of schools and, and the people that, that kind of hold up these books to the kids, right? Parents too, obviously, but, but I wanted to write something that they can use to facilitate conversation with kids. Because yeah. to me, like, I think that's one of the great gifts of being a children's book author is the ability for for you to to spark conversation with, you know, not only their friends, but adults, you know, and I think that's such an important thing, you know, because like I got one email from a grandmother and her granddaughter, and like, she's a speak a speech therapist and her granddaughter was struggling to to uh, to speak and so like that and she used gibberish and she reached to gibberish with her granddaughter like every night and talk about how it's hard to talk sometimes and it's okay you know and hearing stories like that kind of helps me like think of ways that I can help facilitate conversations like that 
that I want to maybe encourage to happen. You know, something that I've observed with, with people who, who are able to produce art kind of over the long term, right? I mean, there's a lot, like mm. you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of people who will produce like one thing, right? And, and, and that's no small thing. So I, by no means am I minimizing that. Yes, but, absolutely. Um, but people who continue to produce art, even as it changes, as it may change form or whatnot, I mm. noticed this trend where often what draws people to artistic expression at the beginning is a desire to share their own story in some way, shape or form, mm -hmm. you know, a, an experience. I mean, it's not necessarily like a memoir or anything like that, but just, you know, similar to the way you did in gibberish, like there was a personal story there, right? Mm -hmm. That kind of came out, but that, that often changes into a desire to share other people's stories and mm. help other people see themselves. And it, I, I, it sounds a little bit like that's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think really for me, because I, I think I always wanted to connect with with people. I mean, I'm an introvert mm -hmm. by nature, but like for me, connecting with people through my art has always been a thing. Even as a kid, I drew a lot, right? And like, like I have, in my bio, I write like you know, I learned to draw before I learned to read, and it was just mm -hmm. totally true. That was my way of expressing myself. That was my way of, of communicating, really. And I think that. Because of that, it kind of allowed me to connect with people on a different way, in a different way than than most. So I think that's kind of like why I gravitate towards picture books and just um, the art form itself. Because like mm -hmm. to me, like you said, I I do want to say something, and I and 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 the best way for me to say it is is through the art that I'm I'm doing. And 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 there is a lot of things I want to say, and I, and like you said, like there's a lot of personal things that I want to still express and, and hopefully can mm -hmm. connect with people in some way, you know, and it shifts at some point though, right? It becomes, it becomes a two way connection versus just simply sharing your own story. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I didn't expect the response that I'm getting with gibberish to mm -hmm. me. I think that is also a really nice, uh, surprising way that the art has kind of taken life of own like you know I, I displayed paintings and stuff like that before but it's rare to have a conversation with somebody that looks at your painting and can kind of talk about it right but with a picture book I'm actually actually having actual conversations about the book with you know kids and stuff like that and like I sometimes I get the eye roll you know but sure but, sure but but other times like the kids are excited about it and they're 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 telling me oh I deciphered your gibberish I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> tell me, tell me about that. You know, and like, basically, they did decipher my gibberish. You know, and the first time that that somebody did that, I was like, wow, the gibberish in the book is actually an alphabet, and like, they were deciphering all the words that I'd written in the book, and yep, they tell yep. me, oh, yeah, I know, in the, I know, on the chalkboard, you know, it says, be kind. I'm like, oh, you got that? And like, that's amazing. You know, like something like that. I'm like, wow. like it, it, it just blew, it blows, it blows my mind. You know, like. Because I am trying to communicate with them in different at different levels, mm -hmm. and for 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 people to actually catch all the different levels that I'm I'm throwing in there, it's it's really exciting. I want to ask you a question about your regular creative process, and you probably get this question a lot, I imagine. But I am one of those people who doesn't necessarily believe that there is a right or a wrong way to approach developing art, but I do think that we can all learn from each other. And um, so I was just curious if you could share a little bit about what your creative process looks like and on like a daily basis or a weekly basis or just kind of what that looks like, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, in day-to-day -day life. But then I'm also wondering, because you've, you've already mentioned about, you know, your conversation with your publisher and your editor 
about how mm. you you very much had an attitude of being willing to learn. And I imagine that that also comes out in your practice. And so I was wondering if you could share a little bit about how do you how do you keep yourself in kind of a, a growth mindset or, um, you know, mm -hmm. an open mindset so that you are continuing to learn? I'm going to throw a quote I, I heard a couple of weeks ago that kind of like relates to what we just, what you're, what you're asking about. It's like, I believe it's Lao Zun that said it. Knowledge is the treasure. Practice is the key. Mm. And it's, it's really true. Like you have to, you have to practice what you want to learn. I'm going to tell you my routine is that, and it's a little crazy, and I know that there is people that do it too, but for the average person, they, they think it's crazy. So okay. I wake up, I wake up at 5 a.m. And, and I know there's like a 5 a.m. club out there that, that, that they all wake up together. Um, but shout out to I, the 5 a.m. club. I'm not a member, but uh, shout yeah. out to you. Yep. Yeah. So I wake up 5 a.m. and I basically make my coffee, take my dog out. And I, the, the first thing I do is just sit in front of my, my, front of my computer and neither I, I'll be writing or I'll be drawing until my nine to five job starts. So, you know, that gives me like, well, what, three, maybe three, if I'm lucky, four hours, just concentrating on, on what, what it is that I'm doing. That's my routine. And then the actual work itself, I have my notebook, <laughs> I, have, I have notebooks on my desk and then I have no, notebooks on my nightstand. Any idea that I have about my story, I'll write down or any thoughts I have or anything that. I feel that would be valuable. I write it down. So that's that's one thing. And then sometimes I'll refer to it if I'm stuck on an idea or whatever. So that's one thing. And another thing is basically I have a Google Drive of all of my story ideas. I just throw it in there. So for the book that I'm working on right now, I use Clip Studio Paint, which is a a comic book uh, software. And I have mm -hmm. that open, and then I also have Scrivener open of my story. Mm -hmm. So I have the written text, and then I have the images. And then on my notebook that I talked about earlier, I write down all the things that I want to do the next day to my story. So basically before I, before I stop working, I would usually write down a couple of notes. Okay. Redraw, redraw the character pose looks weird or whatever, uh, or change, change the text in the last page or something like that. So I have a list of things to do the next day. And then also I pretty much go from there. And then, and then when I'm really stuck, is when I I'll print out the book and go for a walk. Yeah, so I'll print I'll print the book out and kind of read it and and then I walk and then I have a pencil with me sometimes and I'll just you know scribble like some some thoughts down. When I get stuck, I I tend to like have to do something physical to kind of get out of it. Yeah. And here's another thing that might seem lazy, but it works for me. <laughs> I don't know if anyone does this. Another thing is I take a nap. But before I take the nap, though, I think about the problem that I am trying to solve, though. So I sit there and just think through exactly what it is that I'm struggling with. You know, if, if like the pacing is off of the story or if if the 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 ending or for it isn't feeling right or the stakes aren't high enough, mm -hmm. what is it that's wrong with the story? I, I kind of think it through and like I really, really, really think it through. And, and then I take like maybe like a 30 minute nap or longer. And, and then when I wake up, I go to my computer and write down what I think right away. I don't know I don't, that works for me. I don't know why, but. It, it, I mean, it sounds like you're, you're very purposefully giving your subconscious a chance to work like yes, both, yes. both in terms of like a nap or walking. It's, it's kind of similar in that way. Yes, ex actually that, 
you just solved my my you just you said it right there you just did it <laughs> yes yeah I, yeah because i do believe my subconscious is active right mm -hmm. I, I do i do believe like you're, you're constantly working out problems in your head so like so sometimes I, I I give my subconscious an actual problem that I wanted to solve, you know, directly. Yeah. Well, I, I I like that you have that level of trust in your subconscious, and I, I think I think it's really powerful because I our subconscious comes out in so many different ways, but I think it's rare for me. It's rare to find someone who like very specifically is like, oh no, like I I give this over to my subconscious and then I give it space. That's. Hmm. That's kind of fascinating. I, yeah, I really don't run across that very often. I, it, it seems to work for me. I don't know. And try then, it, people. <laughs> hey, hey, you know what? Try it. And if nothing else, you at least you got a good nap out of it. But I think it's worth. <laughs> I think it's it's worth trying. Well, and I I will say definitely. I mean, I've had similar experiences. Maybe uh, not necessarily with a nap, but I've definitely had similar experiences where I'm, I'm wrestling with something or struggling with something, mm -hmm. and I go to bed and I wake up the next morning and like the answer is right there. Right? It doesn't always happen, but it happens sometimes. Actually, that's a good point. Like, I think that's where I got the nap idea from, though. I did wake up one evening and I came up with two of my stories that I'm working on came from waking up from a dream. Actually, the book I'm working on now came up from waking up and I just wrote it out. It's totally different than, than what it is now, but I wrote sure. out exactly the story. And, and it, it, it's a long story, but it came from a, it came from a movie that I was watching and like, something that, that the character in the movie said that really resonated with me uh -huh. and I, I went to sleep I, and then I woke up with this idea for, for that, for a story. And then, so, so sort of piggybacking off of my question about, you know, your, your creative process or your day-to-day -day process, mm -hmm. what would you say that your relationship is like with blank space? And the, mm -hmm. um, the prompt behind that question is, I think that we all, we all need a certain level of structure in life and we all need a certain amount of blank space. Mm -hmm. And, I think sometimes like how much of each we need changes with the seasons, right? It can change based on specifically what we're working on. You know, I often see with entrepreneurs that there's, there's so much, maybe structure is not the right word, but there's so much like do, 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 right? <laughs> like get that list, you know, and start mm -hmm. knocking things off and you got to be constantly, constantly mm -hmm. actually producing mm -hmm. something that often there's a reticence to embrace like space. And mm -hmm. I see that sometimes with artists, but I also sometimes see the exact opposite where artists, you know, we sort of sit in our heads for a really long time and we mm -hmm. think about all these great ideas and it's sometimes it's like pulling teeth to actually actually sit down and, you know, put the pen to paper or the paintbrush to paper or, you know, whatever your medium of, of choice happens to be. So I'm always curious how people like you who have published a book, who are working on more, who have embraced the artistic life as their life, like how, what is your relationship like with blank space and structure, I guess, kind of both. Yeah. yeah the that, tension that's there. Yep. That's, an, that's, a, that's a hard question to answer. I think as an artist for myself, it's a constant battle, I feel. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, and, and battle might not be the right word, but it is a constant back and forth between those different self or feelings. I feel you have to give yourself room to be creative and you have to be brave enough to make mistakes. Mm. Like, mm -hmm. I think to me, like that is crucial for being somebody uh, in the creative space. I can't speak for entrepreneurship, but I can speak to the idea of making enough mistakes to get it until you get it right. Because like, I think my, my, my biggest thing starting out is sometimes I, I hold onto the pencil so tight 
because I don't want to make a mistake. And I, I, I don't mm. want to, to, to make a mark on that white space because I don't want to make a mistake. But I also realize from doing the work that the best things come when you do make the mistakes, right? Because you learn from the mistakes and you're able to move forward through the mistakes. Yeah. There's no there's no moving forward unless you make mistakes. To me, like I have gotten to the point where I actually embrace it now as opposed to fighting it and uh, fearing the possibility of making a mistake because you know all the emotion that come with the idea of making a mistake is is sometimes especially in, in an introvert like you know you sit there sometimes and <laughs> think about your mistakes too much uh, <laughs> yeah right ruminate a little bit yep yeah and and i think i think that i've i've come to embrace it now and i've come to embrace uh also um feedback i think that's another thing mm -hmm. that took me a long time to to learn is going out of my comfort zone and asking for feedback on a mistake and it's hard because like you're making yourself vulnerable right and you're, you're in some ways you're asking for help you know and you're you're showing something that is not finished and sometimes being a perfectionist which i think is an illusion that you kind of put yourself in a trap in a way where like you you you, you don't want to show anything until it's done and it's like well you're not really ever done you know so so you never yeah. uh, with that same logic you're never going to show anything <laughs> you know so my relationship with the blank space and and the structure is a constant back and forth the reason I, I wake up at nine to nine or sorry five a.m. every morning, no matter what, even if I'm on vacation, even if the reason I do that is to create a space for me to make mistakes in, you know, mm. that is structured. So yeah. like I I know no matter what happens, I have this time set out to be creative, and in that creativity, <laughs> crazy shit can happen, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you know. But each each morning is a little different, but structured, and that's kind of like I guess the best way to explain. It. And, so, and sometimes I, I I carry it through like you know into the day because like I couldn't solve a problem, so I go for a walk. Sure. Hopefully that answers your question there. But, yeah, 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 it does. Thank you. Well, Young, this has been such a such a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for sharing about gibberish and your journey as an author. If listeners want to buy your book, they want to buy gibberish, or they want to find you online, where should they go? You go to my website, I have links and then also have reviews of it if if you want to read reviews before you buy. Yeah, but if you don't want to do that, <laughs> it's you can get it anywhere books are sold. So, yeah. Perfect. And we'll put we'll put a link to your website in the show notes as well. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Young. I really appreciate it. This has been such a fun conversation. I'm excited to see your new book when it comes out. Uh, so you'll have to keep us posted on on when that one's when that one's ready. Oh, absolutely. And thank you for for having me. This is I also had a lot of fun. Yeah.